JT and musicians and singers. Good to see everyone this morning. We're glad you're here. And uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 42 on through chapter 45 in just a minute. But I've got a couple of, of uh, uh, messages here for you. One is Troy and Judy Bridgers are moving away to Virginia to be closer to their children. And they hope to be here today, but they've got some physical challenges. And uh, I looked around and did not see them. If you are here, raise your hand. Troy or Judy. Yeah. When you see them next, uh, let them know you're praying for them. Or you can send them a text or a card or a note or something like that. I know it would be a blessing to them. They've been a wonderful part of our church for many years. We hate to see them go. And Jacob Vaden, you know, was playing the drums right behind me here just a minute ago. And Jacob is going off to college in Texas. And uh, he, his last Sunday with us and, until he comes back to visit, his last Sunday is today. And, uh, and as you know, the, uh, and Harley will reiterate this, but there is a fellowship after the service. And... Uh, in the evening, after the evening Bible studies, tonight, there will be a, a little gathering for uh, Jacob, and we want to pray for him and send him off with God's blessings. And then I was asked to share this request with you. Pray for Margaret Ritter and her. Margaret had another stroke on Friday. She's back in the hospital at Cone, so please remember them in your prayer. Pastor Harley will have the rest of the request, but they asked me to do this one and pray for them. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for Troy and Judy. What dear people they are. Bless them as they make this move and start a new beginning at being close to their kids. We pray your blessings upon them. Thank you for, for uh, Jacob and uh, his faithful service to you. And we pray that you would continue to guide him and he will just walk in your will through all of life, we pray. Protect him uh, and hedge him about uh, as he starts this new uh, season of his life, we pray. We pray for Margaret and Herb. We know Herb is heart's broken over Margaret's uh, stroke, additional stroke, and we pray you'd comfort both of them and strengthen them and give recovery for Margaret, we pray. We commit these things unto you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now let's look at our passage together. In uh, Genesis chapter 42, we come to this really new section that if I, uh, outlining the whole story of Joseph, I would call this the reconciling years. It actually takes place in a, in a one-year period. And uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph is... 39 years old now. Remember, he was sold into slavery at 17. He spent 13 years as a slave and a prisoner in prison. At age 30, he's led out of prison, becomes the second in command in all of Egypt. Five years have passed of plenty. Remember, five, seven years of plenty. I'm sorry, seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. That seven years of plenty has passed. And two, in two years of famine have passed when we come to chapter 42. 
So two years of famine that have not only affected Egypt, but the countries and areas surrounding them. Verse 1 says, Now when Jacob, that's Israel, Jacob, same name, God changed his name, and throughout Scripture it's used interchangeably. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? That's kind of a comical phrase. We might say it like this. Why are you just sitting there looking at each other? Go out and get us something to eat, you know? That's the thought here. Why are you just looking at each other? He said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from there that we may live and not die. This was a severe famine. People were dying and food was scarce. But remember, Joseph had taken... 20% of the, all the crops of Egypt during the f seven years of plenty. And so that there'd be food in those granaries during the seven years of, um, of famine. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the word. Bless it to our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody's heard the name Corey Ten Boom. Famous Christian. She lived during the uh, time of the Nazis and the Holocaust. And she and her family were Christians. And so they hid in their home uh, Jews who the Nazis were arresting and sending to concentration camps and putting to death. And so they hid the Jews. They even built a special room, a secret room upstairs to hide them in when uh, the Nazis would come by and check the houses and so forth. And eventually they were caught for doing that. And th uh, around 30 of her family were sent off to prison. And there were six Jews hiding at the time. They'd never found the six Jews. They were still hiding in the in the in the secret room, which was later became known famously as the hiding place because in 1971, Corey Ten Boone wrote a, a book about her experience and named it The Hiding Place. And later, a few years later, a movie was made about it. It's a tremendous story. And, uh, and so the, the six Jews hiding, they, they were okay, but 30 of her family went to prison. Most of them were released and uh, her father died. His name was Casper. He died after 10 days. And she and her sister Betsy, who was seven years older than, than Corey, by the way, they were both in their 50s, and, uh, and she died, that is, Betsy died just 15 days before Corey got out of the prison. Actually, it was a, a concentration camp they were in, uh, Ravensbrück concentration labor camp where Jews were being put to death. She found out later that not long after she got out, by the way, she got out on a clerical error, wrong name on the wrong sheet of paper and so forth, and she was released. Not long after she was released, all the women in the camp that were her age and up were put to death. 
So she escaped, and she built some uh, homes or established some homes for, uh, for people to recuperate and try to bring healing for people who went through the Holocaust and, uh, and all the torturous things that went with that period of time. And then she traveled for 33 years sharing her story of God's grace and of God's forgiveness. And uh, she would talk to big crowds about 64 different countries. And, and she would talk to crowds about God's forgiveness. She liked to use this little phrase, God said he would put our sins in the depth of the sea. And then she would say, and then he puts up a, a sign above it that says, No fishing. So those sins are gone. Don't, don't go pull them, trying to pull them back up. Uh, she talked a lot about forgiveness and God's grace. Her, um, her sister Betsy, who was seven years older than her, said to her, the last word she said to Corey while they were in Ravensbrook, she said, and I quote, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. She said, God will give us the love to be able to forgive our enemies. End of quote. We're going to come back at the close of the message and talk just a little more about Corey. Look at your, look at your uh, screen. It's easy to make some comparisons between Corey Ten Boom and Joseph because of all their afflictions, difficulties, and so forth. Here's some things I think is worth thinking about when it comes to the life of Joseph. Uh, Joseph had new beginnings. You know, he, he was a brother and a son. Then he became a slave. Then he became a prisoner. Then, then he becomes the second in command and so forth. He had a lot of new beginnings. You know, life's full of new beginnings. Tracy shared her testimony Wednesday, Tracy, uh, and uh, she did a tremendous job. And uh, she mentioned to us that she's starting a new job. There's a lot of new beginnings in life. If you think about it in a realistic way, every morning's a new beginning, isn't it? And uh, we ought to get up with expectation of God's blessing to follow him. But anyway, he had new beginnings and he had continual hardships. Now, not only what we already know about him, but think about he's going to have, in these next years, he's going to have family problems, and some family members will die. And, and then, he, not only that, he's got the responsibility and the stress of running this nation of, of Egypt. Can you imagine being the second in command? And not only was he second in command, but Pharaoh just kind of took his hands off the whole thing. He said, whatever Joseph does, that's good. And let Joseph do it. And you, everybody answers to Joseph. And uh, he was second in command. He had a big responsibility. People, would, people were going to starve to death if Joseph didn't get this right and have enough money. That's a lot of pressure, isn't it? So uh, there's continual, continual problems and stresses in life. It is with all of us. In different seasons of life, those stresses are different. But um, life is complicated and sometimes it's hard uh, and then renewed relationships we're going to see that today that's the 
uh, really the section we're in today, reconciliation, renewed relationships. And there may be some of you who are alienated from family or from friends because of a hurt, because of a wrong, of sin. And uh, we're going to see some things about that in Joseph's life. And then he had lasting influences. He touched a lot of people with his difficulties and the way he handled them and so forth. And God wants us to have lasting influences too. Now, we're not going to influence people like Billy Graham did. None of us are going to speak to millions of people. But we might influence our family. We might influence a neighbor or two or somebody at work and somebody in the church and so forth. We can influence people for good. And so he had lasting influences. Now, let's turn to our scripture. I've got five... I've got five chapters to cover, but I think I can do it in three hours. I, I'm going to tell a lot of this story because of time's sake. So, Jacob, two years into the famine, Jacob says to his sons, Go to Egypt and get some food or we're going to starve to death. So his ten oldest sons start on the journey. Joseph, of course, was a son too, but they... The brothers all think he's dead, and the father thinks he's dead. And uh, Benjamin is the youngest. Benjamin was about 10 years younger than Joseph. So he might have been 7 to 10 when Joseph was 17 and thrown into the pit. And now he is, it's obvious from the text, but maybe because he's the youngest, but he's his father's favorite. And so he keeps Benjamin there home with him. And at this point in time, if you remember, if you did that math with me earlier, uh, Joseph is 39 years old. And so Benjamin's somewhere around 29 years old. And so the ten start out for Egypt. They make this long journey. Remember, it's about uh, 15, to, excuse me, 15 to 20 days, this journey down to Egypt from Canaan. So they make their journey, and they get to Egypt, and, and uh, everybody that comes for food has to go through Joseph. <clears throat> or some of Joseph's lieutenants. So they get there, and they, they come before this great leader, second in command, and, and it's their brother, but they don't recognize him. It's been 22 years now. 22 years, and he was a young man when he left, and uh, now he looks like an Egyptian. He's clean-shaved, has on fancy clothes, looks rich, and so forth, and they just didn't recognize him. He, he recognized his brothers, of course, because they looked similar to the, the way they did 22 years ago when they, they were full-grown when this happened, and... Uh, he recognizes them. So they come and bow to him. Remember how they said in chapter 37, we will never bow to you. And they resented that dream. Now they come and bow down before Joseph. And Joseph says something that's kind of surprising to me in the text. He said, and he speaks to them roughly and says, you're spies. You've, been, you've come here to spy out our land and all the famine. He uses the word nakedness, but it refers to the famine. You've come to see how bad the famine is and report back to our enemies, and you're spies. And they said, oh, no, we're not spies. And he said, yes, you are spies. Oh, no, we're not spies. And back and forth they went. And, uh, and Joseph said, 
I'm going to put you all in prison. And uh, he puts them in prison. Three days, they're in prison. And then he pulls them out and says, I'm going to let all of you go back and get your little brother. Because he had asked them in that process of them telling the story of who they were and trying to explain who they were. They said they were all sons of the same father. And there was one son who was not... In other words, that was Joseph. And there's one younger son that's back home with the daddy. Now Joseph said, in order to prove your story's true, go back and get Joseph. So he takes Simeon, keeps Simeon in prison, while the nine of them go back to Canaan. Now, why was Joseph doing this? Why didn't he just say, man, good to see y'all, and so forth? Well, if you remember, his brothers were very wicked. Not only the wickedness they did to him, they were involved in other wickedness as well. He wants to test them. He wants to see what's happened in the last 22 years. Are they different? Have they matured? Have they come to believe in the God of the Bible like Jacob the father did and like Joseph did? So he was testing them. And so... The brothers go back. Uh, Before, though, we we continue with the brothers going back, I want you to see one, one little passage here. Look at verse 21. Now, this is after he brings them out of prison, and he says he's going to keep Simeon. And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother. We are truly guilty concerning our brother. In that... We saw the anguish of his soul. That's when they were throwing him in the pit and selling him as a slave. We saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us. The word besought, if you've got a, new, a newer translation, it'll say begged. He begged us. And we would not hear. Therefore is the distress come upon us. They said, what we did 22 years ago is not over God's punishing us for what we did to our brother. And notice verse 23. And they knew not that Joseph understood them, for he spake to them by an interpreter. Now Joseph had been speaking Egyptian, and they were speaking Hebrew, and so there was an interpreter interpreting between them. But Joseph didn't really need an interpreter, because he spoke Hebrew well, and so that was his native tongue. So he understood when they thought they were away and speaking, and he overheard and understood what they said. And notice, and he turned himself, verse 24, turned himself about from them and wept. And returned to them and communed with them and took from them Simeon and bound him before their eyes. This is the first time Joseph weeps in through in these five chapters. He's going to weep six times before we're through. Not, and we're not won't look at all that today, but in the story, he will have wept six times. And apparently, this was pretty open, powerful weeping because he would hide himself, and then he'd have to clean himself up afterwards and so forth. And so the men go back home, and they tell their father, and their father's not pleased, even though they got food to eat. If you remember the details, they also, the Egyptians on, on um, 
Joseph's order put the money back in their grain bags. And so when they saw that money, they were scared to death then. They were afraid Joseph, which they didn't know was Joseph, but they were afraid this uh, prime minister would think they stole their money back and put them to death, you know. So they got back to their father and told him the story, and the father was upset. He said, why did you even say you had a brother, Benjamin? I don't want Benjamin to go. Why did you even say that? They said, well, he was asking us questions, and we were trying to explain who we were. They went back and forth. And they said, to get more food and to get Simeon out of prison, we've got to take Benjamin. And the old father said, no, no way. You're not taking Benjamin. So time went on. Famine was still in the land, and they ran out of food. And uh, so they come back to their father, Jacob, and say, we're out of food. We need to go back to the land. And Jacob says, go. And they said, we can't go unless we bring Benjamin back. That's exactly what the, the prime minister said. And finally, the old man gave in. Because Judah said, I will guard him with my life, and you can have my life for his life. That was Judah. And so he finally consented. They went back. And uh, Joseph threw, threw them a feast. And uh, before they went into that feast, they tried to give the money back that was in the money bags. And... And Joseph's servant said an interesting thing. Pick that up in verse, uh, chapter 43 now and look over in verse 23. This is what the, uh, the servant that worked for Joseph said. And he said, Peace be to you. Fear not, your God and the God of your father hath given your treasure in your sacks. I had your money, and he brought Simeon out unto them. It's interesting and I don't have time to elaborate on this, but he spoke of their God and their father's God. He knew about the God of the Bible. He was one of Joseph's servants. I think he learned that from Joseph. Everybody at this point re respected Joseph as the wisest man in the land. And he's sharing the truth about the one true and living God. Remember, the Egyptians have about 2,000 gods altogether and goddesses, and uh, so he speaks of their God in the singular, the God of heaven. And, uh, and so then they had their, their uh, get-together, and they had a meal, and uh, let's pick it up in verse, uh, well, 27. 26 said they bowed to him again this time. This time, Benjamin is in that bowing. And he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spake? Is he still alive? He's interested, of course. That's his father. And, uh, and they answered, uh, Thy servant, thy father, is in good health, and he yet lives. And they bowed down their heads and made uh, obeisance. They made worship. Uh, the worship's not the right word. Respect, absolute, total respect. It can be used for worship, but here it's not. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin and his, his mother's son. Remember, Benjamin and Joseph had the same mother. All of these men had the same father, but the ten 
his ten older brothers have a different mother. And uh, he lifted up his eyes and saw brother, uh, Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spake to me? And he said unto Benjamin, God be gracious unto you, my son. And Joseph made haste for his bowels or his emotions, his compassion did yearn upon his brothers, and he sought where to weep and entered into a chamber and wept there. So now they've got their food and uh, they're heading back home. And uh, Joseph's still not convinced of his testing. So he, he takes a, or has someone take a, an expensive uh, personal possession of a cup, a silver cup, and puts it in Benjamin's bag. And so the, the 11 of them head back to, uh, to Canaan on their, uh, what, 15, 20-day trip. And after they're gone for a short time, Joseph sends his men out to, uh, to catch them, and he catches them, and they check everybody's bag. Now, that, the captain there, he knew whose bag it was in. This was all planned. But he started with the oldest and checked the oldest. And, of course, they said, we didn't steal a bag. If we stole a bag, we, you can throw us in prison. We'll be servants, slaves forever, and on and on. We didn't steal anything. So they checked every bag almost like he was playing it to, to the most dramatic point. And when they finally get to Benjamin, sure enough, there's the cup hidden in his grain. And they all, you know, say, oh, well, let's go. We have to go back. We'll be his prisoners forever. And so they go back. And they come before, uh, they come before Joseph. Look at verse... 15 of chapter 44. Now we're in chapter 44, and we're making progress. Chapter 44, look at verse 15. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? Know you not that uh, such a man as I am can certainly divine or understand these things? And, and Judah said, What shall we say unto you, my Lord? What shall we speak? And how... Uh, shall we clear ourselves? There's no way to prove we didn't do that. God hath found out the iniquity of his servants. Again, the iniquity, well, all their iniquities for that matter, but in particular, the terrible thing they did to their brother. And uh, so they say, we'll, we'll all be your ser servants and slaves. Joseph says, no, just the one whose uh, the cup was in their bag. Just Benjamin, he'll be my slave from now on. And, and then Judah, remember Judah's the one that said to Jacob, uh, I, will, I will be in his place for you and make sure he gets home safe. So Judah makes this long speech that starts in verse 18 and ends in, at the end of the chapter. And some people have said it was one of the most beautiful speeches of, of, um, of reconciliation in the Bible. And it is certainly a, a wonderful passage. We pick up the last few verses, two, really just the last three verses. Uh, look at verse 32. 
for thy servant became surety for the lad unto my father, saying, If I bring him not unto thee, then I will bear the blame to, uh, to my father forever. Now therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant, he's referring to himself, let me, your servant, abide instead of the lad. I'll be a bondman to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brethren. For how shall I go up to my father and the lad be not with me? Lest preadventure I see the evil that shall come upon my father. Wow. This is also a beautiful picture of the substitutionary death for Christ, of Christ. He went to the cross for us and took our place. Judah is willing to take the place of Benjamin. Now, this is a remarkable thing because if we look back 22 years in chapter 37, who was it that said, let's sail Joseph? You're right, it was Judah. Judah, Judah had a mind for business, I guess. He said they were planning on killing him. Judah said... If we kill him, we don't get any profit out of it. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave and let him be a slave the rest of his life. We'll be rid of him and we'll make a little money to boot. Now he's got a chance to leave Benjamin behind. Is he jealous of Benjamin? Is he still the same man he was 22 years ago? And instead of taking the easy way out, which he could have, he could have just said, Good luck, Benjamin. And he could have gone back home. But he said, I'll be your slave from now on in the place of Benjamin. I think that was enough for Joseph. He believed his brothers had changed. Then in verse, chapter 45, as we come right from verse 34 into verse 1 of 45... Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all that stood by him, and he cried, caused every man to go out from me, and there, or he cried, let every man go out from me, uh, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in, uh, in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They were speechless. They couldn't say a word. They were so afraid. Oh, talk, talk about vengeance. Talk about what you, you know, what you do comes around. Here they are thinking Joseph is going to put them to death. He could have just said the word, and they would have been put to death, all ten of them. And uh, so they're speechless and troubled. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said unto his, uh, he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Wow. He had forgiven them to the extent he didn't even want them to be angry or be grieved about what they did because he had his eye on the God of the universe who doeth all things well. And even when things don't make sense, God has a plan and a purpose. 
And he states that great purpose here. He sent me. And, uh, and then God sent me in the verse 5 uh, before you to preserve life. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve you, a posterity in the earth, and to save your lives with a great deliverance. So now, uh, it was not you that sent me hither but God, and, hath, and he hath made me father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler throughout the land of Egypt. Wow. Joseph was a man of faith, wasn't he? And he had forgiven what his brothers had done to him. And he had forgiven them to the point where he, he wanted them to be blessed and he wanted to help them. And we find out later in the story he takes care of them and nourishes them and so forth out of his great love, the love that comes from the God of the Bible. And then jump down to, I guess, verse 14 maybe. And... Uh, uh, and he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. There he is weeping again. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. So after all this weeping and hugging and, and reconciliation, then they talk. What would they talk about? Well... They might have talked about, how many kids do you have? I, oh, how many kids do you have? And Joseph said, oh, well, I've got two kids. And on and on it would go. And they talked about things that had gone on back with their father and so forth. And maybe somewhere through there they touched on the brothers saying how bad they felt about what they had done. We don't know. It doesn't tell us that. Now, we understand from chapter 50, and we'll get to there next week. We understand from chapter 50 that, that Joseph was not saying what they did was okay. He's not saying that at all. What they did was despicable, and they meant it for evil. It was evil, and they meant evil. And he's going to say that in chapter 50. He just has forgiven them to the point where he wants what's best for them, and he loves them uh, since God had filled his heart with love. And then they, they leave, and he says one parting thing to them, and I just want to read that. Look at verse 24. And he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said unto them, See that you fall not out by the way. <laughs> he knows his brothers pretty good. He said, see that, you, see that you don't have a falling. We might say it like this. See that you don't have a falling out among yourselves. Don't blame whose fault it was and who did the right thing, wrong thing. Don't have a falling out. This, this is a time of rejoicing. Go down and... And get my father and bring my father back to Egypt. And I'm going to take care of all of the family. It was a huge family. And that would include all the uh, workers that worked in, the, uh, in their uh, businesses. <coughs> which was sheep and cattle. And, uh, and so he's going to bring them all down and take care of them in the, in the place called Goshen. And uh, so he sends them away. And uh, that's where we end our story Today. I told you I would come back to uh, Corey Ten Boone. She got out of prison in 1944, started sharing her testimony, and, and talking about God's forgiveness for all men. 
And she would also talk about how we have to forgive one another. Jesus said, if you don't forgive men their trespasses against you, neither will your Father forgive you. And that's not a condition for salvation. That's a condition for fellowship, though, and for walking with the Lord. And so she would, she would teach that. She'd only been out of prison three years when this incident took place in Munich, Germany. She was speaking at a church in the basement of the church. A lot of people there. When she finished, the people were walking out of the church, but she noticed one man was coming towards her and going opposite from everybody else, and she recognized him immediately. She said he had on a gray overcoat, and he was clenching a felt hat in his hand, and she knew it was one of the guards from Ravensbrook. Matter of fact, it wasn't just one of the guards. It was the meanest, the most cruel, the one who treated Betsy, her sister, who was 59 when she died, treated her with such disrespect and meanness and cruelty that Corey felt like it added to her death in prison. This man was walking towards her. And she had told, of course, her story about being in the concentration camp. And I'm going to read some of it to you. She said, And when I saw him working his way towards me through the crowd... One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next moment I saw the blue uniform and the visor cap with the skull and the crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh lights overhead and the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the corner of the room and the shame of walking around totally naked in front of all the soldiers. I could see my sister frail from behind, from ahead of me, and she with her ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, she says, how thin you were. It all rushed back. This guard came to her, and he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard in Ravensbrook. So he didn't recognize her. He just knew she'd been there from her talk. He goes on to say, but since that time, I have become a Christian. And I know God hath forgiven me all the awful and cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And he stuck out his hand. He said, will you forgive me? She said, I stood there whose sins had to be forgiven every day. And I could not do it. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? She said, I probably only stood there for seconds, but it seemed like hours to me as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. Then she said, but I knew I had to do it. I knew. Because the message that God forgives has a prior condition, and that, and that is that we forgive those who have injured us. 
And then in her mind, she quotes, If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, Neither shall your Father forgive, uh, Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. She said, I still stood there with a coldness of heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. She prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I think I can lift my hand. Help me. She said she mechanically like lifted her hand and reached it towards his. And they shook hands. Now I'm quoting again. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into my, our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And I cried out. I forgive you, brother, with my whole heart. Wow. She said, for a long time we stood there with our hands grasped, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment. The only way you can forgive like that is to let the one who, when he was dying on the cross, prayed for those who tortured him and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If that one is controlling your life, then you can forgive anytime and always and anyone. Who do you need to forgive? Maybe it's a big thing. Maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it's a misunderstanding. Who do you need to be reconciled to like Joseph was reconciled to his brothers? Who is it? Let God speak. And then say yes. Bow with me, please. With our heads bowed, maybe you'd say, Preacher, I know I'm saved, but God is speaking to me today. Maybe it's about afflictions. Maybe it's about difficulties. Maybe it's about forgiveness. But you'd say, God is speaking to me today about some of these things. And I want you to pray for me that I'll do the right thing myself. Would you slip your hand up for prayer right now, all over the building? Yes, God bless you and you and you. And yes, and God bless you all, all around. God bless each of you. You may put your hands down. Maybe you'd say this, Preacher, I'm not saved. Pray for me. No one would embarrass you or come to you. Let me pray for you. Would you slip your hand up? By that you're saying, Preacher, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior, or I'm not sure I want you to pray for me. Slip your hand up right now, would you? Let me pray for you. Anyone? All right. Father, you've seen the hands of your people, us. And you know that sometimes we hold grudges because that's what's humanly, that's what's natural to our humanity. 
But you have taught us to go beyond what's natural to our humanity and do that which we can only do in your power in us. And we can do all things through you, Lord Jesus, who strengthens us or who infuses us with your strength. Some here need to forgive someone. Maybe they need to express forgiveness to someone. Some need to trust you in this, this journey they're on of tribulation. Bless them, we pray, each of them, whatever the need. We ask it in Christ's name, amen. Stand with me, please. And we have one joining the church this morning. If you would come forward.